0: Uh, I'm going to read, uh, beginning uh, in verse 5, just for context. Uh, we're kind of in this section of Ephesians. We're kind of, the, it's called the ho- household passages. Uh, we already looked at husbands and wives and fathers and parents and children. Uh, now we're looking at uh, bond servants and masters, slaves and masters. Uh, more, Ken, uh, we'll get this in a second, uh, to probably employer-employee relationship with kind of within the household. But we're just going to really focus on verse 9 uh, tonight. So, uh, let's pray. Read the word, then pray. Forgive me. Um, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you now that you would allow me to decrease, that you would increase. Father, I ask that you would just remind us of the forgiveness that we have in Christ as we approach this moment Father, uh, we don't stand uh, together before you as, as righteous um, individuals in our, of ourselves. We stand before you righteous because we have been washed uh, through the shed blood of Christ. Uh, so, Father, forgive us where we fall short. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would forgive me, Lord, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in thy sight, my Lord, my rock, and my Redeemer. Father, as I declare this word, I pray it be edifying and encouraging to the body here It'd be encouraging to bring conviction upon our hearts, God, and that would help improve us as we live for you and for your glory. So Father, now I pray that you would bless this time in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, those of you who were here last week, we started to kind of look at this topic of, of uh, slavery uh, and slaves and masters in, in the New Testament. Uh, let's just kind of look right here at verse 9 uh, when it just says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Uh, one thing that we have to understand: when slavery is mentioned in, in, in the Bible, it's different than the slavery that we may be accustomed to in, in the American history, the chattel slavery in the American South. Uh, just as a, as, a, as a reminder that any time someone was was sold as as was captured uh, and and uh, robbed of their family and, and their freedom was taken from them, um, uh, that was punishable by death. We see that throughout the, scrip- the, the scriptures, uh, that anytime someone was, was uh, treated in that way, was treated harshly, that they were allowed to go free. So the slavery that we're talking about here is different than the slavery that we think about uh, in the history of, of uh, America. Uh, slavery in the Bible was actually looked at as a blessing. Uh, One way that slavery was was a blessing, that those who who committed a crime, uh, a a fee, a theft, and were not able to pay it back, were allowed to go into slavery uh, for a season instead of going to uh, prison. Uh, sometimes that uh, folks who could not provide for themselves because of circumstances were allowed to voluntarily, again, that key word, voluntarily uh, submit themselves to uh, a master, enter into slavery for, uh, so that their needs could be cared for and, and, and met. And as we talked about last week, uh, this letter, the letter that was written to the church at Ephesus was, was written to Christians. Uh, it was written to Christians who were, who were making up this this household. Now, this is uh, the slaves here and the slaves and masters really were a household. Uh, they function more together. Think about a someone who's running a household has servants in their household, uh, maybe a um, uh, you know a larger area of, of land that someone was 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 caring for. Uh, but understand that, in, in, from Paul's perspective, that these uh, masters or those who owned slaves were Christians. And as Christians, they were supposed to live in a certain particular way. That doesn't mean that they were, this, that, that they were that the, that the Christian slave owners in, in the American history, uh, because you know, we've been talking a lot about race of late, largely in, in our nation. Uh, and uh, oftentimes, Christians uh, use the Bible to uh, defend the chattel slavery of the American South. And that should never have been the case. That should never have been the case because um, these Christian slave owners, uh, were, were, they were masters of particular slaves who voluntarily uh, came under their, um, their rule. So it, it, slavery in the scriptures is very different than the slavery that we see in the, the history of, of America. And yet, we we see that these masters were called to to live in a very particular way. So look at verse 9. It says, Masters do the same to them. What does do the same mean? Well, this is kind of taken probably from verse 6, where it says, Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to men. As slaves were called to submit to their masters in a particular way that would adorn the doctrine of God, our our Savior, that would beautify the Lord Jesus Christ. That they would they'd help people see the glory of, of God's rescuing act in, the, in the, the person and work of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Uh, so slaves were called to use their position as slaves to make Jesus great in the world. Well, these masters were called to do the same. Uh, they were called to use their authority, the authority that God has given them unto the Lord. Uh, So if we look at it, maybe in in our modern day context, bosses and managers should strive to lead people in such a way that they would prosper underneath them, that they lead with their authority for the good of their employer, employees. So I guess the question that we would have, those of you who are managing people, those who have people underneath them, are you using your authority for good? Are you using your authority to serve others? Uh, Are you using your authority, maybe even parents, for your own children? Are you using them for their good? Are we seeking to care for those the Lord has given us? We also see this kind of idea of this mutual submission. Uh, Masters and slaves were called to lay things down for the good of others. Uh, One of the things that I would ask you to do, those maybe who are are, uh, leaders of people underneath them, uh, ask questions of care. Uh, Don't look at people who are underneath you only as um, people to serve you. Oftentimes when you're a manager or you're a boss, you're looking at the people who are underneath you and you're saying, what can you do for me? What can you, how can you serve me and my needs? Well, if we turn that around and actually care for people as human beings who are made in the image of God. So ask them, how are you doing truly? How are you handling and managing this workload? How was your family? How was that, that situation you told me about two weeks ago, about that situation with your, with your mom and that, that test that she had? Is everything oh, okay? How are you handling this, this quarantine? How are you handling all the different stresses that are going on in, in, in life? You know, we want to care for people as individuals, that they would flourish underneath our, our care. Now we, we also need to give rebuke when, needs, uh, when rebuke needs to be said. But ultimately, we want to give rebuke in such a way that would help the person who is underneath us grow. That our main goal is not to, to be punitive, to punish, but our main goal is to help serve them so they would grow more in the Lord. So the question is, do we want what is best? Do we want what is best for those who are under, underneath us? Masters, do the same to them. You want to do things in such a way that the the will of God will be done, rendering your service as a manager, as a boss, those who are under your care, to the glory of the Lord, not to man. And so if you understand this idea of service uh, to them, service for their good, you won't do what the next, the text says. It says in verse nine, masters, do the same unto them and stop your threatening. This is the idea of what bullies do as as they lead. Do this or else. They're they're not trying to um, love and serve, but they're trying to use intimidation. They're trying to use anger to get what they want. They are bullying people into submission. The Bible talks about this. Jesus even mentioned this in the New Testament about how the Gentiles or how the world leads. They lead with lording it over you. I'm your boss. I'm your master. I'm the one in charge. You do what I say. And he says the same thing in 1 Peter. Uh, Peter says that we should not be domineering over those who are in our charge, but we should be examples to the flock. Domineering or threatening, that's the way of the world. That is not the way of Christ. We want to, to, be, to be firm, be gracious, have high expectations, but we should not threaten because we want to model our Lord. And what does our Lord show? God's kindness leads people to repentance. Now, there's times when we need to say a hard word. Don't get me wrong. I mean, that, that, that happens. But we want to serve those who are underneath us. Threatening people is really all about you. It's, it's you want what you want when you want it. Serving is about them. I mean, just think in your life. When do you threaten when do you threaten people? Well, I think sometimes you threaten your people when you're embarrassed. This happens maybe with your children, right? Uh, your children may be acting up in a public place and you feel embarrassed. You feel shame. So then you kind of speak very harshly to your children, not because you're trying to serve and love them, because you feel this embarrassment and this shame, right? That happens the same thing in, when you have people who are underneath your care in, in, in the in the work world, right? Is if you don't do your job, you reflect poorly on me. And if you reflect poorly on me, I'm embarrassed and I am shamed. So you better do what you're supposed to do. It's really not about the person underneath you that they would grow and they would flourish and they would prosper. No, it's really about me. So when we, when we think life is more about us, we tend to have that attitude of bullying and threatening. Right? I pray that we would not be those who have people under our care that would be threatening to, to use our anger or our use intimidation to get people to do what we would ask of them. Really, the, the reason is is because we are all one family. Look what the text says. It says, Stop your threatening knowing. So, there, so we live and function differently as Christians because we know a specific um, uh, knowledge of our relationship with God, what God has done, knowing that He who is both their master and yours, is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So God is the master of both the, 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 the master and the slave. Well, let's just start kind of backwards and, and move, move up. It says that he is in heaven. God is sovereign. God is in heaven. He is in control. He is above, and we are beneath. So what Paul is saying here, stop acting as if you're the ultimate authority. Stop acting as if you're the one who's in charge. Stop acting as if you were the the chief, the head honcho. You are going to have to answer one day to someone who is higher than you. This is what Jesus said. Jesus says when he, he commanded the Great Commission, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So we have a master who has all authority in heaven and earth and we serve him. That helps to help us remember that if we start feeling like we're getting too big for our britches, well, then we remind ourselves that we have one who is over us yet still. It also says that that, that this one who is in heaven, the Lord, is the master of both the, the slave and the master, that they have now become one in Christ. The wall of hostility has been broken down, and that we are now a family. We are one in Christ. So, would you treat your family in such a way? Now, sometimes it's even hard to say that because sometimes the, the people that we treat the worst are the people who are closest to us, and that should never be the case. But if you are family with one another, you're not going to use your anger and threaten and bully them. That would that'd be far uh, outside of what God would say in in the in, in the scriptures. God has designed his world to create a people for himself who are zealous for good works. God saw that we were uh, separate and we were apart, so God sent Jesus to die on a cross, uh, to, to, to be dead and buried, to be raised on the third day, to do what? To take people who are far off and make them one, to bring us together with him. So we have more in common with, with a slave we, if you're a master more, if you're, uh, if you're a master more in with a slave than someone who's in your own family who does not yet know Christ. And I just wonder, I pray, beloved, I pray that as, as the body of Christ here, will we live that out? Will we live out as a redeemed family community? People who are far off, people who are different in so many ways, are we going to come together and be truly one? family showing the world that christ is is real this is what paul is trying to draw out knowing that he who is both their master and yours you have the same master so you should treat him differently and then he says this referring to our lord he says and there is no partiality with him now this is something that we need to really hold on to here beloved Uh, Because what we see a lot in our day is partiality. Partiality is running rampant in the world. And sadly, partiality is running rampant oftentimes within the church. It says, God shows no partiality. God loves all. For whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive religion there is. That God will accept everybody, no matter where you're coming from, no matter what sins you have committed, as long as you come through Christ. As long as you come through the cross, all are welcome. The, the gospel is grace for all, mercy for all, forgiveness for all who would bow their knee, humble themselves before Jesus as Master and Lord. So before we move on here, beloved, let's ask ourselves some heart questions. Do you show partiality? Partiality is favoritism. You, you show one person or group more favor or more um, uh, positive that's a horrible way of saying it, right? But we, 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 we give favor to one group over another. We We denigrate one group over another. So, do you show partiality towards those who differ from you ethnically? Those who differ from you in your gender? Those who differ from you politically? Do you look down on someone who may view things differently politically? Or ideologically, they come from a different place on a, on a particular issue or on several issues. Do you treat them diff- different if they are from a different socioeconomic class, the rich and the poor? And here, here's the thing, what the Bible teaches. All of us have partiality. All of us are going to struggle with partiality and, and forms of, of prejudice. Why? It's because we are fallen human beings. The challenge is not to say that we we will never have prejudice. No, the challenge is when we find prejudice in us, when we find partiality in us, we root it out. Because out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we sense prejudice rising up in us, we want to root that out so that we can become a pure reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God has no partiality. And if God has no partiality, his people should have no partiality. And yet we do. So when we do see it in us, what do we do? We confess it. And God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us of our partiality and cleanse us from the unrighteous partiality that we have in us. And I think too many times we're too quick to, to say partiality is over there to to turn or change the conversation when really what we need to do is look inside our own heart and say, God is there anything in me there is is there anything in me that is displeasing to you And then we confess it and God in his kindness continues this sanctifying work in us until he calls us home. God hates partiality. So let's reflect Him and how we love one another. Father, I pray that we would be the kind of church that serves one another regardless of our role and our position, uh, that we would serve one another with a pure heart doing the will of God. We pray that we would not threaten with anger or intimidation. And God, we pray that we would show no partiality. We pray that when we see it in our hearts, we would confess it We would run to the cross. We would understand that we have been forgiven by you and that we would strive to treat all people, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.